I think if you want to stay relevant, mention that term of the front lines, yeah. whether it's at the well site, in the manufacturing facility, in the pump shop, it doesn't matter at any stage in your career, you need to be going back out to the front lines again to do a grounding, a refresh, and really realize that that's the heart and soul of our industry. The oil and gas industry, the driving engine of the world economy, delivering prosperity, innovation and abundance across the globe. Here are the stories of its key players, directly from the leaders themselves. This is Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, where real experiences are passed on from the leaders of today to the leaders of tomorrow. Here is your host, Paige Wilson. Welcome back to another episode of Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, sponsored by Inveris. Before I introduce this week's guest, I wanted to ask everyone to support the show by taking a few moments to leave a review in iTunes. It helps people find me, y'all. Also, if you're interested in getting your hands on some OGGN laptop hard hat stickers, check out the show notes for a 60-second survey. Well, I am sitting here this afternoon with Shauna Noonan, Oxy Fellow and Senior Director International, Gulf of Mexico Supply Chain Management at Occidental. Say that three times fast, Shauna. <laughs> I know it's a mouthful. <laughs> I've seen worse. Oh, you've seen worse. <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk about how you got started in the oil and gas industry. I'm from Canada. Canada is not necessarily known as an oil mecca, especially where I grew up in Vancouver, British Columbia. Oh, okay. Most of my classmates were, let's say they were very anti-fossil fuel. Mm, yeah. And of course, being like most kids graduating out of high school, you don't want to go to school anywhere where you still have to live from home and make that drive. Yeah. So I went to the next province over, Alberta. Okay. And started actually doing the pre-med program. Uh-huh. And then quickly realized that was something that my mother wanted me to do mm. and not myself. And just so happened, I was starting to hang out with the petroleum engineers that were there mm -hmm. and found that what they were studying, I was a lot more interested in. And also, too, I grew up in the, the days, Friday nights, I was watching Dallas. Mm. So <laughs> yes, you had this <laughs> glamour of the oil and gas industry. Uh-huh. Yeah, I just switched right over in petroleum and never looked back. That's awesome. And you can still find glamour while wearing a pair of coveralls and steel toe boots. <laughs> oh, always, always, <laughs> always, especially with the stuff they have out now. It's fantastic. They make stuff just for women. I've got my purple pair. Oh, that's awesome. Good. I think it was Hotworks, I believe. Hot uh, there's that one and also Bulwark. Yeah, it's the Jamie, the, the young lady... From Chevron that created oh yeah, yeah, FRC yeah. that's right that's right that's right yeah with my name and glitter oh you're gonna have to send me a picture <laughs> I need to see these I will <laughs> I'm gonna have to order some so well and I'm going to be heading over to the Middle East to do some manufacturing visits and so I'm planning to bring them over with me <laughs> that'll turn some heads okay so let's go from when you got in petroleum and then uh and so when I graduated that was during the downturn in the early 90s mm. and a lot of my classmates were not getting offers i was in a five-year program it was a co-op engineering program so you did five four-month internships so typically co-ops actually had a better chance of getting job offers and i got a share of offers but again the comments from my counterpoint i was the only girl 
Oh, in wow. the I'm not surprised. Yeah, I'm not surprised by that at all. And the comments as to, well, she's only getting the offer because she wears skirt. And so that's actually been the thing that's driven me my whole career is to prove that I got my roles and my positions and my transfers and stuff on my merits and not because of my plumbing. Yeah. Oh, good plumbing. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Yeah. And so purposely too, like, so I was not a tomboy at all and growing up I was very much a girly girl. And I purposely picked a job that had me out in the field supervising rigs. And that was with Chevron in Canada. They had a wonderful training program and the fact that it didn't matter if you were going to be a reservoir engineer, an electrical engineer, they all made you sit rigs. And they had this huge checklist. You had to do so many frack jobs, so many well deepening, so many whip stocks. And it was also this credence that if you pulled it out of the well, you followed it to the shop and you did the teardown. Mm. And that's how I ended up getting into my specialty with artificial lift and getting known as an industry expert in artificial failure analysis because of that original grounding work. And it really took me out of my comfort zone to be in northern Canada, in the middle of nowhere, where my rig crews were guys that remember meeting each other in the drunk tank. <laughs> you know, they just got off probation, just got out of prison. But I think that's what really set me, not only grounded me, but made me learn to talk the right lingo, understand that you've got to serve time on the front lines. And that's one of the things I, I keep telling or mentoring people too, especially the women who are, won't necessarily think out of their comfort zone for stuff like that, Yeah, that it, it pays off in spades. It's an investment in yourself. Yeah. And for the people that are listening that aren't in the actual industry, would you like to explain what artificial lift is? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we have a few people that don't understand. Yes. And don't Google it because it will pull up stuff that's totally not related <laughs> <laughs> to the oil and gas industry. So basically, once the reservoir, if there's not enough pressure to bring the fluids to surface, mm -hmm. you usually have to find a way then via artificial lift, whether it's a downhill pump or there's gas lift, there's different methods you can use to bring it up. Probably, I like to think 80, at least 80% of the wells in the world right now are on some form of artificial lift. Yeah, that's what I thought. If you see those big beam pumps, yeah, or in the UK, they call them the nodding donkeys. That's one form of artificial <laughs> The nodding donkeys. <laughs> oh, man, this is going to be great. And by the way, everybody listening, this is my first in-person interview since before COVID. So, so it's been pretty exciting. I had to remember how to put my equipment together and all that <laughs> stuff. So, But I'm here actually at Occidental doing this interview. So let's go ahead and talk further about those challenges you've gone through, Shauna. Another big challenge is trying to be a working mother mm, in yeah. this industry. And with the roles that I've had required me to do a lot of international travel over mm -hmm. the years. At one point in my career, at least half of each month, I was away. And when you're raising two young daughters, you need a very supportive spouse. Oh, yeah. And the fact that when I got transferred into the U.S. We had no family here in the U.S. that we could just, oh, like, in I order to call grandma that. to come over. It's like, grandma in Vancouver, can you get on a plane and come down to help? Because my husband also worked in a job that was a lot of international travel. Oh, wow. And it got to be a point when my girls saw grandma, they started to cry because they knew mommy and daddy were going to be going away. Oh, no. <laughs> 
But I ended up through this raising uh, two very independent daughters. So once they went off to college, you didn't have to worry about it. I didn't have to worry about it. Yeah, I know that feeling. I remember my dad leaving and I remember waking up specifically every Thursday at like four o'clock in the morning because I knew he'd be leaving. That's a hard thing when you're a kid. Well, and I think it was because of that work life balance that they didn't see. Neither one of my girls went into the oil and gas industry. Okay. They didn't want to have anything to do with it. I don't blame them. They fully support. <laughs> Yeah, they help promote the use of fossil fuels, but what they saw with me was not the life that they want. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, I understand that. You're away a lot, so well, it depends on what you're doing, whether you're in the office or whatnot. So yeah, a lot of time I was out in the field and plants. I was all over and traveling all over the world too. It was exciting because that part that I love meeting people, learning different cultures, and going back to the theme of this podcast around leadership. I think in order to be a really good, effective leader, you really have to understand where people are coming from and not just geographically, but culturally Yeah, as well. Yeah, no, that makes sense. All right, well, let's talk about your current role here at Oxy. So I kind of have dual role, hence the long title. <laughs> so I've always been corporate engineering, mainly specializing in artificial lift. I did, when I was at ConocoPhillips, run the completions technology group there for a number of years. So within Oxy, we have a career step ladder mm-hmm. that the top of the technical ladder is what they call fellows. Okay. And at Oxy, there are seven fellows currently. Oh, wow. I'm one of the seven. I'm the only girl. Oh, yet. oh. Yet. And then the next it's principals and down because we wanted people to really understand that you can have a full technical career mm-hmm. through the company. And for us too, at the fellow level, we're at the same career ladder as if it was a country president on okay. the managerial side. Uh-huh. And with that, then we sit, we have a technical advisory board and we're dotted line to our CPTO. Okay. So that's the fellow part of that title. Okay. I was about to ask. And then a few years ago, I was asked to come into supply chain. So I had to leave Oxy for a couple of years because mm-hmm. I was president of SPE in 2020. And so they pretty much have to cut you loose to do that. And when I came back, they said, Shauna, can you do us a favor and go into supply chain? And for my 30-year career, I've been usually in battle or in conflict with supply chain. (laughs) Kind of like, you want me to go to the dark side? (laughs) And it was probably one of the best ideas or someone knew that it was going to have a purpose that was going to be a great development move. And I highly recommend for anybody that they had the C-suite in their sights to be looking through something like supply chain. I know within Slumberger, they kind of route people through HR. Yeah. <laughs> when you see a really good manager all of a sudden go into HR, you know that they're being targeted to go further up. Mm-hmm. But now understanding, you get more into understanding vendor relationships, finance, and really kind of more of the inner workings of the company. It was my lack of understanding as to the reasons why things are in supply chain and procurement that could have saved me a lot of grief all those years earlier. So I've kind of taken like a little mission to start educating all those many Shaunas and that that are out yeah. there. So then they don't have a heartache. Yeah. I guess right now is kind of a crap time to be in supply chain considering all the issues and the lack of materials and getting stuff around the world, right? I wouldn't say crap is an exciting time, just like me and SBE president during COVID. Oh, <laughs> I didn't even think of that. Oh, yeah, cool. No events. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, flipping virtual. And it's 
there's a time and place for anything and there's always opportunity and chaos. Yeah. Not just an opportunity as a personal development, but really an opportunity to help the company do a quick pivot. And uh-huh. like in the case of SBE2, it was hard pressed to get people to accept virtual events. Yeah. Until you had to. Yeah, that's true. And so it's certain things as to security supply or where we're sourcing or the way we do contracts and stuff like this now that you can do a quick, hard pivot. And it's easy for someone like me coming in from the outside because I don't have that mindset as to, well, this is the way we've always done it. Uh, yeah. Because I'm just new to the game. Yeah, that's true. So you can see it from a different perspective. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I spent a lot of time just mentoring not only people within Oxy, but people that are outside too. Probably more of it says to, okay, don't do this because <laughs> this is what I did and it didn't work. Yeah. 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 That's always good to know. Better to learn from other people's mistakes instead of your own, you know? Yep. Well, let's get into leadership a little bit. What is leadership to you? I mean, you kind of touched on it a little bit a moment ago, but. Leadership is lifting up the people below you or alongside you. I look at leadership more as spending more time developing the people, letting them understand and having those frank conversations as to things that could be holding them back. I talk a lot about self-imposed ceilings. Mm -hmm. And I know I had a lot of those for me where I was thinking that it was upper management that was holding me back from that promotion or that move. And then all of a sudden realizing that it was something I was doing myself or the way you're perceived, right? Oh, yeah. I spent a lot of time with my people on First of all, the beginning of the year, when we're looking at setting the goals, one, you've got the business goals, and then making sure that you'll be able to, at the end of the year, put a barrel or dollar value to it, because that's the language management speaks. But at the same time, looking at, okay, what's that next spot in the ladder? And let's start building or showcasing you do have those skills or capabilities. So when you are, it is time for that promotion, it's a slam dunk. Yeah. Or helping set realistic targets too, as to, Okay, we've got some work to do in this area. And for me, for example, like self-imposed ceilings, when you get in a role you love and working with the teams or the people around you, you get really comfortable. Yeah, you become complacent. You become complacent. And I see this more with women mm. than men. Interesting. And so you pretty much have to be shoehorned out. Even for me to be a first-time manager when I was at ConocoPhillips, I basically had to go kicking and screaming to have direct reports because I just wanted to be an individual contributor. Yeah. And then that ended up being a great move. And same with this switch into supply chain. Yeah. Right. There's no way I would have sought that out. I had to go kicking and screaming. My CEO, Vicky, you know, she's always said she never turned down a job she was asked to do, whether it's setting up operations in Ecuador or in Russia. She always believed that management was doing it not only to better her, but to make sure that she was bringing more value to the company. So that's the way I yeah. see that for myself. What I ask, you know, as a great leader, you got to, you know, walk the talk. Yeah. And I always like to think for myself that I'm an advocate for the people that work for me. I've had some managers that felt that, no, you're supposed to voice down what upper management wants them to do as opposed to lift up concerns or issues. And I think it really needs to be a balance. Yeah, I see that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So do you have like an example of something like a really hard time as a leader, you know, a challenge you've gone through, maybe something you've regretted doing as a leader? Uh, Leadership isn't easy. No, because some people aren't easy. 
Right. Yeah. And it's hard for those that need development or really strong mentoring and they they'll listen to the feedback but they're not willing to act on it. Oh, you mean assholes? <laughs> Cuz yeah, I know a couple of people like that. They just ask you a bunch of stuff and then they don't do it. They do the opposite. Yes. Or they just do whatever they want basically. Or having to coach somebody on, okay, it's not what you're saying, but it's your body language in meetings that that's why no one wants you to be on their team. Ooh. And that because... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so as much as I hate 360 degree feedback, uh-huh. just because it can be brutal at times by making it so it's not just your opinion, but it's the opinions of your peers. Yeah. That, okay... In your mind, and maybe this might not be an absolute fact, but this is the way it's coming across. So let's work on actually having to change that. Yeah. It's the people part. Yeah, I get that. Especially because I have an animated face. I can't hide what I'm thinking. I can't lie. I'm not good at any of that. Like, I'd have to believe the lie myself in order for that to happen. But, like, I can't play poker. No. (laughs) They would know what I have. It wouldn't even matter if I had sunglasses on. Yeah. Somebody told me to get Botox. That would fix it. You're not wrong, but I mean needles. No, thank you. In this case, it was actually successful. And the oh, fact good. that, you know, I always having to do that constant feedback as to, oh, you rolled your eyes like 10 times <laughs> in about five minutes. And it was very obvious, you know, so <laughs> let's just work on some of this. Just look down. Just look down. <laughs> don't don't roll your eyes back. Yeah. <laughs> it's Mark LaCour, Editor-in-Chief at OGGN, and the energy industry faces challenges every day. And the events of the last two years have caused disruptions like never before. Companies in the energy industry need actionable intelligence and a single source of truth that brings all the data together. Eneverest is the energy specialized technology partner that provides intelligent connections for the global energy ecosystem. Only Eneverest has the analytics, people, experience, and industry scope to connect the right data and information in the right way to discover missed opportunities and deliver fast outcomes. Find out more at Eneverest.com. That's E-N-V-E-R-U-S.com. So what's your favorite part about being a leader? Again, it's more back to the people and with the younger talent, especially I know for our industry, that's a big concern right now is not only the attraction of talent, but the retention. So I work a lot on the retention piece. I never had much mentoring or feedback from many levels up from me. And I spent a good career of just learning stories from people and their different career paths because you do get some mentors that will feel that, well, it worked for me, so this is the way you need to do it. And especially as a young working mom in this industry where we didn't have a whole lot of role models in the U.S., there were very few company policies. I know at the time when I had my first child, good luck trying to pull up what the company maternity policy was because it, was it didn't just, even exist. <gasps> it wasn't readily accessible. So obviously there wasn't a room to go breastfeed in, you know? Oh, no. Of course not. Nothing, no retention or no maternity leave. None well, of that. keep in mind, too, in the U.S., there is no federal law for maternity policies. Oh, I didn't even think about that. So this is why when the UN does their country survey as to the quality of, I wouldn't say quality of life for women, but the opportunities for women, and the US always ranks low because there's no federal maternity policy. Is that still the case? hmm Wow. You'll find countries like Canada, a lot of European countries and that, that have a lot of policies for different things around 
whether it's maternity leave, paternity leaves and stuff. Now you're starting to see some more of this in the U.S., but again, none of it is federally. It's not federal law. And so I wouldn't know that even though I have kids, my kids are adopted. And so I would have no idea. No idea. That's crazy. That blows my mind. I need to speak to someone about this. <laughs> Stat. So again, it's, you know, spent a lifetime just getting stories from people, how they progressed kind of their career path. And it was like, almost like the A-team, right? You just, what was that? MacGyver? Yeah. You kind of duct tape and stitch together, kind of pull apart a paperclip and pull apart your paperclip. So then now when, you know, I'm talking with younger engineers or geoscientists, sorry, when I say engineer, I typically mean petrotechnicals in general. Right. At least I've heard enough of other people's stories too, that I can share that as well and help them map something out. It means more to me at the end of the day that someone comes to me saying, Shauna, thank you very much for your support with me switching into this different role. It was really impactful and it made a difference as opposed to me putting in an ESP that I get another couple hundred barrels of oil out of the ground and hopefully oxy management didn't hear that. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> if you had a piece of advice to give our audience, what would it be? I mean, it's anybody from people like yourself to CEOs to people not even in the industry. I think if you want to stay relevant, mention that term of the front lines, yeah. whether it's at the well site, in the manufacturing facility, in the pump shop, it doesn't matter at any stage in your career, you need to be going back out to the front lines, again, to do a grounding, a refresh, and really realize that that's the heart and soul of our industry. So I still regularly go into plants. I can't remember the last time I was actually on a rig, but, but a lot of that has to do, especially since COVID, yeah. personnel restrictions, mm-hmm. but always go out, glove up, put on your coveys, yeah, because it also helps continue to motivate you. And it's impactful for people to see you do that too, that you're just not, don't have this last tower. Yeah. It so. normalizes you and humbles you. Mm-hmm. Like every time I see a CEO, especially mine, that's out on location. Oh, that's cool to see. Vicky yeah, it's very there. impactful. Yeah, for sure. And it's also great, too, because then you can say that you didn't have cell service and then you get off the grid. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody call me. Ah. So do you have a book that has influenced you or books? Yeah, I've had several. Again, the one that made me realize the self-imposed ceilings is a book called How Women Rise, the 12 Effective Habits, of self-sabotaging habits that are holding people back. And I refer to that book quite a bit. And even though it's talking about habits that are more common in women. Mm-hmm. I've seen it in men too. Even things like minimizing, mm-hmm. having the habit, always minimizing yourself. So picture a conference room and usually there's the table and then there's some chairs along the back of the wall. And I would typically go in and take one of the seats at the back. Yeah. And again, like you, I'm an introvert. Yeah, I am. And you know, I would use the excuse that, oh, I'm going to be here at the back of the room because I'm just going to observe This is how I better observe. I call it back row Baptist. (laughs) (laughs) But then what that's setting it up is it's you're not considering and you're giving the perception to others that you don't think you're a main contributor to the meeting. Oh, that's fair. And it's making sure that, look, you need to be seen. And if you want people to see that you're about to say something, they're not going to be able to see it if you're the back of the room. But if you're at the table, you're not only going to be part of that discussion, you're going to be a bigger part of it. Yeah, I can see that. 
For sure. What else is in that book? <laughs> oh, so one was um, the emotional register. Oh, yeah. This kind of aged me, but I remember when emails, you were first able to do internal emails at mm. Chevron, and you quickly learned that emails can be easily forwarded. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And there used to be a product, we didn't have it, but it was in Lotus Notes, had an option. It was the chili pepper. So it would analyze your tone of your email and say, ooh, that's a three chili pepper email. You might want to rethink some of those words. And so I've learned to, especially if someone's really got under my skin in a way, I'll draft an email, but then I'll sit on it for 24 hours. Oh, that's a good idea. Before I send it or send it to somebody else too before I get myself in hot water. Yeah. Or really learning just to bite my tongue and just dialing down on the emotions. When you're a young mother that is working on no sleep, sometimes that can be... No sleep and hormones, man. (laughs) (laughs) That can be very, very difficult. (laughs) But it's something that just takes work and practice. Or even with the people around you, too, getting them to raise the flags when they see that you maybe need to step back. Yeah, I have a problem with that. I'm kind of blunt. It just comes out, really. I'm going to need this book. (laughs) I've just decided I need this book. There's so many good books out there. And one of my mentors, he was the ex-CTO of ConocoPhillips, Mm -hmm. Greg Lavelle. And he actually started this, it was like a book club kind of thing where we actually had a reading list. It was all of his favorite books. Uh, And at the time, I didn't have time for reading. I wasn't even interested in those kind of things. But now I think I've probably read almost all those books on his list. Oh, that's Uh, good. There's so many interesting things on leadership. I'm always interested in innovation and understanding where the pivot points are in technology, like yeah. the examples, Kodak and Compact, some of these that didn't see the trends and they weren't able to pivot. Yeah, no kidding. Actually, some of them have come back with, I don't know, trends are weird these days because I'm basically really living my life right now with fashion. Everything's coming back from my, you know, when I was like in high school and stuff. So they've come back with these cameras. Uh, what's the one that pops out the... Oh, the... um. Yeah, I can't think of it because I want to yeah, say Yeah, the it. instant cameras. Yeah, yeah. Those have made a comeback. And that's Polaroids. Not, Polaroids, yep, exactly. <laughs> okay, Prevagen's kicking in. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, think. And probably one of the later ones I read too was it's the biography from the former CEO of PepsiCo. Oh. Indra. <laughs> now I'm lost at Prevagen. But she wrote a book about her whole rise and how she ended up being one of the few females in a Fortune 500 company. So that was really good, too. Oh, good. Good. Yeah, I'll have to add that one. Cool. So what is your most used business tool? You said that, that IT hates you. So, Well, it's more because trying to be aware of what's in the industry with all the, for example, like your newsletter yeah. that you have out. And there's so many resources out there. But again, the huge concern around cybersecurity, knowing that's one of the number one issues. And so I love the work our IT department and our firewall does to protect us, but sometimes it's the bane of my existence. (laughs) I understand. And it was interesting because it was just recently at Schlumberger hosted a wonderful, wonderful digital forum Mm -hmm. just last month and had the CEOs of very prominent oil and gas companies there, including my own. And the prevalent theme from all of it was concerns around cybersecurity. Yeah, it's an issue. I mean, we've been under, I think I read yesterday, Russia's been attacking us mm-hmm. constantly. And I'm like, well, because they don't have anything else to do, you know, in that whole war thing they've got going on. But 
Well, an interesting fun fact going back to SPE. So when Sony Pictures got hacked, when they released those trailers years ago. Oh, yeah. Well, because Sony Pictures, that's SPE.com. Society of Petroleum Engineers is SPE.org. Org, yeah. So those same people were also trying to hack Society of Petroleum Engineers. It was just went through the roof. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, my gosh. We got hacked a while back, and it was, I think, WordPress even did it. Was it WordPress? Yeah. MailChimp. It was a MailChimp issue. Like, they did a paper on us because of how it occurred. And it was just out of the blue. It just happened. Oil and gas. We're all targeted, you know? Yeah, that's one thing that you don't have to be in the IT department. It takes a village. And so that's one thing my company does very well. Actually, this is Cybersecurity Awareness Month. <laughs> oh, yeah, it is. It is. It sure is. And that's actually why I'm here is because we couldn't get through your firewall. Yeah. So <laughs> so somebody's doing their job very well. Yes, and it's a win for me because I get to see you in person. Yay! Yeah, yeah, I'm excited. I think I'm going to have to start doing this again. I need to find a place. Yeah, for sure. This has been fun. Who's your most respected competitor? Can you even say? Uh, is that applicable? I don't think it's applicable because the way that we've been perceived in the public, uh, we've all had to collaborate and work together to properly not only educate our governments, but also okay, the public in general. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, I think I saw an Exxon Mobil billboard on the way here, which is interesting. And I was like, okay, all right. So we're doing something besides just commercials on TV that nobody watches. All right. Okay. I see you. You know, especially here in the U.S., all the oil companies, we're all working together to try and improve our energy security yeah. in the country. And look, it was led by ConocoPhillips, but I know it was a group of companies just to be able to allow us to export LNG. Yeah. Yeah. Obama did that, didn't he? He didn't veto it. That's basically what happened. It was a great team of CEOs from U.S. oil and gas Good. companies working with senators and good congress people yeah to make that happen and beautiful power of you know we can make things change if we work together and we don't compete so yeah. that's why i don't see the others as competitive that's a very good answer yeah there's a lot of people that just don't understand the prosperity that this industry provides and all the jobs and stuff and that yeah even though we're drilling and we're doing all these things doesn't mean we're going to have gas right away or oil right away. And that's not going to change the gas prices, people. That's not how that works. Well, and this is why I love yours and Mark's podcast, too. Well, podcasts in yeah. plural, because you guys have been great advocates for the industry. And the nice thing is I'm seeing more and more of that. I'm a huge fan of Alex Epstein. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've had him on. He's great. Yes. Yes. You know, and there's several of us like him. And, you know, even within our industry, too, CEO of Liberty... Oh, yeah. FQT. Yeah. And it's Chris. nice now starting to see the voices rise up. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, especially when Chris went after the North Face with all yes. that. Yeah, that was fantastic. Mm, chef's kiss. That's fantastic. So throughout your career, you've probably had some lessons to learn. What's the biggest one? Oh, there's so many to choose from. <laughs> <laughs> had to learn as a working mom, that you can't be perfect at everything. Oh, recovering perfectionist right here? Yeah. It's okay to buy that birthday cake. Or I live in the Woodlands. And when I first moved here years ago, it seemed like a lot of the women that I met that lived here didn't work. 
They're all mm. stay-at-home moms. Yeah. And getting in that mindset as to you have to compete as to who throws the biggest birthday party, who is arranging something on PTO and all that. And it's just, you can't do it all. You'll just burn yourself out. So that was a big lesson I had to do. Also within work, I had to learn that, well, I quickly realized, you know, people that were staying at work till seven, eight o'clock at night, they weren't necessarily getting their promotions any faster than anybody else. Yep. And it was more of the impact you made during your time at work versus the hours that you put in. And so I made sure because I wanted to make sure I was home when my kids got home from school, that I at least had some level of work-life balance that, you know, it's rare that I went out for lunch. It yeah. was like, you know, working in the office reading industry papers while I'm sitting, waiting for my daughter's dance lessons to finish. You know, you can multitask. But again, if you're showing that you're impactful for the time that you're in to work, that will not only help your work-life balance, but it'll just help you healthy-wise, period. Yeah. 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 Does that make sense? Yeah, it did. Yeah. Making me go back and think, oh, yeah, I worked a lot of hours. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and it's finding time for me to do that. I made sure, you know, it's, Again, if I wasn't traveling, that when I was home, that my kids can count on that I can be home in such a time. I was very upfront with my managers saying, okay, these are my work hours. Yeah. And I will give you 150% during this time. But then once- Once I'm gone, I'm gone. Once I'm gone, I'm available by phone, but I'm done for the day. Yeah. And now it's time for me to concentrate on my family. Yeah. Work home balance yeah it's a lot and it's important as a leader to realize those issues if they're cropping up if you're seeing any of your employees starting to burn out uh, you know ones that are struggling with you know dual working parents and young kids and stuff like this just recognizing to be able to cut some slack or give them the opportunities so they can get that work-life balance right yeah it used to be almost a dirty word you know 30 years ago as one of the few women working especially in a technical role to be asking for work-life balance. Now it's an easier conversation to have with your manager. Yeah, yeah. Back then it was just work hard. It was a different generation. That's true. Yeah, I remember my dad didn't go to half of my softball games because he was on a hitch. Just how life was, 14 and 14. So but he doesn't have to do that anymore. So that's but, good. You know, if fast track with today's technology, now we got FaceTime. Yeah. There's a way that you can... Still be present, but be far away. Yeah, that's very true. Very true. So why do you think your role now is important to the future of our industry? You know, we kind of touched on prosperity that the industry does bring. It's my biggest concern, but it's my biggest passion right now is the attraction and retention of talent. Yeah. We've seen, especially during the pandemic and the last downturn, a lot of our bright minds Well, not necessarily retire, but we're also seeing a lot of mid-career people Mm. just leave the industry because there's so much buzz in what's in the media and misinformation as to the job security. Yeah. Well, not only that, but I guess I'm an elder millennial. So I know that a lot of people quite a bit younger than me just don't have the drive that the Gen Xers and the boomers had, you know, that I'm going to stay here for 30 years if I can, you know. Well, and also, too, you know, over time, the companies have changed their pension policies that have allowed that flexibility. It used to be the only way you got a decent pension is if you hung around in there for 30 years. 
Oh, yeah. And then probably about 15 years ago, companies, once they started to see that that mindset with the incoming generation, the job wouldn't be attractive by them not actually gaining some sort of pension early in their career. So a lot of them started to change it. Uh, Yeah, well, that makes sense. About time. (laughs) But I think even too with the younger generation, they don't even think in pension. That's way too far along. Well, they don't even know what pension is. That's what's sad. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, I guess I understand because in your career, you've got to be somewhat competitive. Maybe you change your mind and go somewhere else and do something different. Like maybe they're sick of the downturns. I'm like, this is going to continue to happen. It's a cycle. This happens constantly. And then it comes back. When one side of the industry is booming, the other side is having a hard time and it works both ways. The new generation, they just want to be impactful. That's true. The paycheck doesn't necessarily drive them as much, which is funny because you think, you know, that's what will get people back to the industry is once again, yeah, the dollars. But it's just more of them feeling like they're making a bigger contribution or being more impactful. And I think it's educating people as to... You know, you can be doing that here in oil and gas, especially those that really pushing for us to go cleaner and greener. Well, don't work against us. You know, you're the bright minds. Come in and help us achieve these goals. Work with us. Work with us. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, man. So do you have a favorite podcast? Yours. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) well, you kind of already said that. Any other ones besides mine and oil and gas this week? I love the drill down. Okay. With the spears. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then for those guilty pleasure moments and stuff, trashy divorces. Ooh, (laughs) you're going to have to turn me on to that. That sounds amazing. That sounds amazing. I mean, I've only gone through a couple of those myself. So I guess I prefer to listen to other people's stories than my own. (laughs) There's some doozies. (laughs) Ooh, that's great. That's fantastic. Oh, yeah. I need another guilty pleasure. Well, thank you again for joining me. If people want to reach out to you and or get to know more about Oxy, how can they go about doing so? Uh, They can just shoot me an email at Shauna underscore Noonan at Oxy.com. Okay. And I'll also add your LinkedIn so they can ping you there. Mm -hmm. Obviously, it's Oxy.com. All right. Well, that's easy. So that concludes this episode. So just remember, it's up to you to open the next door. Tune in next week for another intriguing episode of Oil & Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasindustryleaders.com.